Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of different books, <laughs> that have, whatever it's called, a bunch of different books that have come out this week. Let's kick it off with a big event from DC, Lazarus Planet Alpha from DC Comics, written by Mark Wade and Gene Lung Yang, art by Ricardo Federici and Billy Tan. This is spinning out of not just the world's finest book by Mark Wade, but also Batman versus Robin also by Mark Wade and blowing it up in a big way, pun certainly intended, as a Lazarus pit explodes all over the planet and starts raining down and causing havoc with magic. Pete, you have some questions. Take it away. Well, no, I just wanted to say, as you guys remember from the live show, this was one of my favorites. This is the one I was looking forward to. So I uh, I was really impressed by this, blown away by it. Also, before Justin can say anything bad, I wanted to get in some positive stuff. Uh, this is just you don't a know gr- me. great DC team up action. I really enjoyed it. Uh, fantastic last page. Uh, Robin kind of stepping up. Uh, I was I was hyped about it. I thought it uh, did a great job of creating uh, just kind of a fun DC event. It felt like I, I was having fun. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this as well, Pete. Uh, because the uh, the art, I feel like, on this book really leads it and establishes a different tone. I think the writing, the writing really backs up where we're getting into some real gritty crisis magic situations uh, that feels like a fun uh, turn when so many of DC's events are like these big, ultra-dark, um, expanded things that are crisis-based. This feels a little bit different and a little bit more down-to-earth. I really like the fact that Monkey King kind of seems to be leading this in terms of tone and everything. We've got that great backup from Gene Lung Yang and Billy Tan that is very fun. And it seems like he's a... Monkey Prince. Monkey Monkey Prince, Prince. excuse me. He's not a king yet. He's a little young. He's getting there. Monkey Prince, it seems like that is seeping into the main story as well, which is fun. And it also seems like he's going to be a bigger player going forward. I do have one... Enormous quibble I want to throw wait, out wait, there. Wait, wait, wait. Before you, while we're still talking positive and while you're talking about monkeys, you're right. The art is super tight bananas, Justin. It is just twice. You know, I tell you what, it finally makes sense. It's all been leading <laughs> up to this banana monkey prince compliment. It's I'll pink. tell you what, I don't like it when Damien Wade is so tall. I'm just going to say that. I feel like there's this oh, wow. drawing oh, Robin. Wow, look at this. They have a tendency to start looking the same. It's weird when point, you, you have a characteristic of somebody and then they just change the height out of nowhere and then everybody else is okay with it. I understand this is about Wolverine. I knew you were going to call this out, but here's the thing. Damian Wayne is physically different from Tim Drake and Agreed. Jason Todd and 100%. Dick Grayson. And when somebody draws them differently, this is nothing necessarily against Ricardo Federici's art, which I agree in this book is really nice. It's very dark tinged superhero comics that matches the story well, like we were saying. But 
Damien is the size of Tim Drake, and it bothers me. That's all. So a lot of things to unpack there. Uh Uh, First off, so you're saying Damien is a hashtag short king, and you will not accept (laughs) any other. It's it. He is a short. Oh God. Oh my God. I just (laughs) what I was about to say. He's a short, angry dude, and that's who he should be. <laughs> so, for those oh, of you that God, don't know, so when I got up this morning, so I didn't know today right was going to be the greatest day. I, I didn't even know just, where this was going to go when I started this, but uh, all wrong for you, Alex. Oh, super for, the, that for those of you that don't know, there's a little bit of backstory here, and that Pete, huge Wolverine fan, dislikes Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, the seminal Wolverine in all other forms of Wolverine content. I don't dislike him. I just wish they would shoot him short, the proper height. Like, if they're going to have someone who's tall, you got to cut him down. Like, yeah, you know, like dwarf style. They got to do a dwarf style where he's walking yeah, around yeah. with his shoes on. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, the um, opposite of what they do for Tom Cruise. You know what I mean? And then just because uh, hmm. that's who the character is. Yeah, I got like, you. Tom, Tom Cruise is Wolverine. Makes total sense. No, that's not what I'm saying. Well, no, what he's saying is Tom Cruise traditionally stands on an Apple box. So he is the size of his female co-stars. But they got to do is uh, some sort of reverse Apple box. Right. Yeah, an, ap- an Apple hole. An Apple hole. <laughs> Dorf on golf him. So that it makes you want to hobbitize, you want to hobbitize yeah. him, and I'll tell you what, I don't think it's necessary. The, but I do want to say to ask your point, Alex, Alex, if he thinks it's necessary, ask him. <laughs> I do think. Okay, I know Justin's probably going to back me up in a second, and I'm going to dig myself an apple hole here. But I do think there's a difference between Hugh Jackman, a live person, when you're casting in a movie, and you want to cast the best actor for the role, irregardless he is necessarily the best of, actor for the role. Yes, irregardless of how necessarily they look. But in a comic, I do think. It's a different thing because you have control over what the people actually look like. First off, Damien may have hit a growth spurt. He's mm-hmm. only like, what, 11, 12 in the comics. So like he is very much eligible to grow. <laughs> you should know that. <laughs> can I, can I respond to that point or do you want to keep going? Please. I have another point that's more because positive. Because that is another thing that bothers me in comics, and we really shouldn't spend too much time on this because we have a lot of other comics to talk about. A ton. But I have a problem with that the younger characters always grow up and they're like, well, I had a growth spurt. Now I'm an adult. Now I'm getting married. Now I'm getting older and I have babies. That's how it works, and the, though. And the older characters have that's like, I'm 35 forever. Doesn't make any uh, I sense. Think all of those things are our actual dreams. So 35 forever, <laughs> amazing. Oh my the second God. thing I was going to say is I do agree with you that part of Damien's character is being smaller. It's him having like a chip on his shoulder about his height. He's absolutely deadly, but he's smaller. Mm-hmm. So it does make a little bit more sense. But I will say Damien is taking the lead in this book, and it feels like this is sort of his event. So making him like a little bit taller as if he's growing into a role, mm-hmm. maybe part okay, of the so story. So when he backs off and say like monkey print steps up, he'll get a little shorter, you think, in the art? Yeah, exactly. Modular art. That's how I am. When I'm shy, <laughs> I'm so tiny. I'm so tiny. My voice gets smaller. <laughs> anyway, good book. We got to talk about a lot of stuff. That was definitely my fault. I apologize about nothing. Predator number six for Marvel, written by Ed Bryson, art by Kev Walker. This is the end of this arc and technically the end of this series, though they're rebooting it with a new story starting in Predator one later on this year, maybe even next month. But this, how do we think that it's wrapped up? Pete, I know you were very high on this story and really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Um, Yes, uh, this was, I thought, such a great way to end it. I was real hyped by the ending. 
the you know like the all caps like I'm gonna hunt them was just so badass and a fun uh, I think homage to Predator and what it's kind of about so uh, I thought they just did a great job save the last story for last to kind of like you know, hopefully be more because they did such a good job with it. And it also had like an old school TMNT art with uh, some color though. But I, you know, people are kind of bulky and kind of like eighties looking. I love that too. So this really hit a sweet spot for me. And I thought really went out on a high note. You like that. They were a little bit turtled. Yeah, exactly. Turtle. You know what I mean? When in doubt turtle. Could we just a great art, great first pass, but could you turtle them up a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> it's a classic note. Uh, I also enjoyed this series. I'm excited for the uh, the reboot here. Um, the thing with it, I wish the fight was a little bit more. It happened fast. Like I wanted mm-hmm. more of a uh, sort of an intense final battle. It felt like the Predator got beheaded pretty quickly. Dude, what? Ah. Uh. I mean, that's that's not a bad. He's I'm been just saying his I wanted whole life for that moment, dude. You know what I mean? In the heat of the battle, he got kind of caught off guard, and then he fought his way back. I mean, you you only have so many pages. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think what Justin is saying is we've been building up to this battle between this woman who watched her parents killed by a predator. She's traveled her entire life. And a lot of this issue, in a very badass and violent way, was spent with the predator taking down everybody else that was between them. But... I agree with you, Justin. I think I like this story enough that I would have loved another issue that was just them balls to the wall going at each other. Yeah, that would have been very cool. But as is, I think this was a great story. I agree with you guys. If you didn't check it out, definitely pick it up and trade. Because it it reads really well as like its own standalone Predator movie. I mean, it also says about how good it was that you want more. So I Mm -hmm. think that's also positive. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Black the great Cloak, number one from Image Comics, written by Kelly Thompson oh, and by yeah. Meredith McLaren. We had them on the show this week and did talk to them about this book. This is a sci-fi fantasy Damn noir you. book. Lots of stuff going on here set in a world post end battle in a fantasy world type thing. But it's involving the death of a elf. Oh, I'm going to get the title wrong again. Prince? I assume. Is it a princess? <laughs> I believe it. Royal member of the royal family. Member sure. of the royal family. And the ex-girlfriend, kind of, who is a black cloak, a.k.a. elite police officer who's investigating it. As we talked about on the live show, I think this is awesome. Kelly Thompson, we love everything that she does. But Meredith McLaren's art is so unexpected and lovely in this book, from the colors to the line work. I was really blown away by this. Uh, Justin, if I may, I mean, I got to, uh, unfortunately, actually, let me jump in at, let me jump in real quick because I just want to say Pete, like we talked about this a lot and I know you, I guess, didn't have an opinion because he sort of ducked out on the live show and we're not (laughs) interested. Yeah. See, we lost power. So yeah, I didn't get to talk to as much as you you lost power in this conversation a little bit. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, but uh, I, I'm very interested to go back and listen to what I missed. But I would just like to kind of just set this book up a little bit, if you may, uh, if I may here. Uh, sure. Just I mean, to check the setup is different from the setup that I just did, right? Yeah, yeah completely. Oh, completely. Okay, great. 
Yeah, it's completely different to hear this. Go ahead, Pete. I have a setup. I have a setup I'd like to do as well. Well, Justin, you know, why don't you go? You know, I'm sorry. You started. You you should go. He doesn't actually have a setup. I actually don't have a setup. I was making fun of you. Do though? You know what I mean? Because you said opinions. The only setup he has is setting you up for some sort of fall. Take it away, Pete. Okay, great, great. So I just like to say another apple hole. You know, and concerned to this comic, which you know, we we was nice to have the guest on to talk about it and i hope we really did but um the the thing is i would just like to say hold your horses sit the f down this comic is a total package epic story super type bananas art squared to the max this is a unique world so much happens so much action so much intrigue amazing last panel wow this feels like it's going to be one of the comics that we'll be talking about for a while uh, I agree with you, Pete. Uh, we talked about this on the live show um, a bit with with the creators, so that was really cool to be able to talk to them. And one of the, the main things I really enjoyed about it is the way it immerses us in a world but holds some things back. They uh, they give us enough story and enough like emotional reactions in the art for the characters that you really get hooked um, into this world. There's sort of a police procedural uh, format that keeps us sort of tied into it, even though we don't know much about the world. Great first issue. I want to make the comparison. If you're a saga fan looking for another saga fix, this is the book for you. Definitely pick up Black Cloak number one. Wow. Great call. Let's talk about Spy Superb number one from Dark Horse Comics by Matt Kent, who I will plug. We are going to be talking about talking about this book with about two weeks from now on the live show as we're taping this. This is a reboot of his series that, well, the concept is set up in the first couple of pages, but it's essentially like what if James Bond died in his first mission and then a series of regular people were all James Bond as a collective, but didn't really know it. We meet a new person who ends up being the new spy superb of this issue. He's basically the worst person in the world. I love this book. I love Matt Kidd's art. I thought this was so fun and so funny throughout. Uh, very violent as well. But what did you guys think? Yeah, I mean, that's I'm, I'm excited to talk to him about this. But I, what's surprising is the premise the way the art portrays the setup, the way you're kind of thrown into the story, it's uh, it's a lot cooler than kind of like sounds. You, it, it seems more original. And when when you say like, oh, worst person is now the agent, it does it doesn't I think do it enough justice because it's like an average person or maybe somebody who isn't trained or you know whatever is just trying to live their life and is then thrown in. Well, the they, they set it up. They set it he's, up in the book. He's a the, jerk. Yeah, the oh, dumbest sure. worst person for this. Like right. they literally say that in the text. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, uh, also like. Oh, but uh, you're giving the better. You can change him, Pete. Is that what you're thinking? Oh my yeah. god. You think you should. I, I have a shot? You think you'd really <laughs> listen to me? Uh, yeah, I just think it's one of those things where I, I it felt like it was coming across more like it could be anybody who all of a sudden is their phone is switched out and then they have to like take it to some whatever. You oh, know no, what I mean? but this guy is a piece of shit. Let's agree. <laughs> agree. Yeah. I also really enjoyed this. I feel like the way that it goes between sort of high action and intrigue, espionage, and just straight up very funny everyday stuff with this guy who's just being a total dick to everybody around him was great. And the moment when he's finally confronted in his home with the action world that has been pulled that has pulled him in, I thought was really cool. 
Definitely looking forward to more. And as of all of Matkin's stuff, it has like a total package element where you get a lot of just cool things in the front and back and everything. Wonder Woman 795 from DC Comics, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad and Jordi Belair, art by Aman K. Nahulpin and Polina Ganeshow. In this issue, we're really ramping things up with Wonder Woman's war with the gods that has been brewing in the background. There's some big action scenes throughout here. How are you guys feeling about this arc so far? This is a great this, time. Go ahead. This this villain is, is bad news. Uh, I like the way that um, he's set up as uh, as an Eros, uh, to get mm-hmm. my uh, mythology correct, like as a jerk to both Wonder Women we have here, um, one more personally and one just as a general foe. Um, I think the biggest thing about this run, uh, Becky and Michael's run on this book, is the amount of world building and the way they're able to sort of set stuff up, leave it on the table, and then pick it back up later. They're really building sort of a, their own mythology epic here. And one of, oh, I'm sorry, Pete, were you about to? Yeah, yeah. I just, I really love the kind of the team up, uh, the battle sequences and keeps me, the reader, very interested on where it's kind of going. Talking a little bit about Justin, like picking up back up where it left off. You, you, it does it so well. You feel kind of very cared for uh, as someone who, you know, picks this up continually. And it's a, it's a, it's a really great team of uh, writing and art. And uh, also the backup has that kind of like if you like the Shira series on Netflix, it feels like a continuation mm. of that. And the art is really kind of of that style as well. So it's it's great. Only thing I was going to throw out there is I love Cheetah being part of the team. It's a great addition. And in general, just having Steve Trevor there at a candy Cheetah. Um, it's not Gilgamesh. But who's the? Yeah. It is, it is Gil. No, no, it's not Gilgamesh. But uh, I know who you mean. Yes, there you go. Whoever the character who is showing. Anyway, this expanded team for Wonder Woman, I think, is very fun. The and Avengers, the romance, the romance yes. angle that we don't know what's happening really at all. And yeah. they, they, they again, it's on the table, but they don't really reference it. Assuming they will at some point. The Avengers War Across Time, number one from Marvel, written by Paul Levitz, art by Alan Davis. This is another one of these titles from Marvel that they've been putting out pretty regularly that reunites classic teams on new tales that fit into old continuity. Here, this is a very classic Kang tale going all the way back to the beginning of the Avengers. They fight a possessed robot Hulk here. I think, and I say this in the best way, you know what you're getting when you're getting Paul Levitz writing, Alan Davis doing the art. It's right there. And my big impression uh, out of this, you know, I frankly do not spend a lot of time on the darker quarters of the uh, comics Internet, but I'm very well aware that for decades now there's griping about like, oh, God, I hate all the woke changes that are coming to Marvel. Why are they doing this from absolutely terrible people? I 100% guarantee you those terrible people are not reading these titles that are specifically geared towards, yeah, if you liked it 20 years ago, here you go, you know, which just points to the fact that they're terrible people, and that's pretty much it. That's that's very much like a sign thing to this issue, but while reading this, I was like... None of you are reading this, right? Like you, you, you're not even bothering to read the thing that you've been demanding from Marvel for years because you just want to complain about shit all the time. 
we review comics and trolls, and these trolls are getting a major <laughs> thumbs down. They are not well, super tight bananas. Don't like trolls, uh, and I'm not afraid to say it. Th- this uh, has a great kind of like old school feel to it. Uh, it feels like an old school Avengers title, which is really nice. And, uh, you know, uh, great, cool use of Kang. I'm glad that, uh, and, you know, just had some classic kind of Hulk verse fights, uh, you know, with Thor and everything uh, and Iron Man. And, yeah, it was just kind of had a great kind of nostalgia Avengers book feel to it. And I think Paul did a good job of capturing that. It definitely does what it does. Uh, the way that it, there's not just not a lot of nuance. I think with the people you're talking about, Alex, who are against the quote unquote wokeness, I feel like that's detail, um, originality, and uh, bringing in different voices. Something that I really enjoy in comics. Mm-hmm. This feels like an old hearing an old voice again, which can be interesting. But some of it reads like crazy. Like the Wasp is like so intensely trying to like flirt with everyone in a way that I'm just like, I, what are we doing here? It, it just yeah. feels like, like a, an artifact, which can be cool to look at, but it's not something I'm like, this is my comics. Yeah. yeah. I, and to be clear, I think I'm on the same page as you about this, Justin. I love Alan Davis art. The Excalibur yeah. run that he did with Chris Claremont is one of my absolute favorite things of all time. Um, I think there's a place for this. And I think people need this. Non-troll people even enjoy this sort of thing. Yeah. I do appreciate things pushing forward. And I do want things to push forward because they have to. Time marches on. So right. there you go. Speaking of which, let's turn to a new exciting book, Two Graves, number three from Image Comics, written by Genevieve Valentine, art by Ming Doyle. We've been following this book very closely, and it seems to be about a woman who is very close to her own death, but maybe turning into death herself, palling around with death as they travel around and interact with people. It's still playing it a little murky, but that's one of the things I love. I'm very into the mystery box of this book. Yeah, and we're slowly – I like the way that the art is sort of revealing our, our death character is coming more into focus. I'm not imagining that, right? It, with no, each no, I issue definitely think that, he is. No, I mean, the magical Doyle, yeah. bag that fl- fl- you know floats around his head sometimes is more revealing. Sometimes it's more baggy. You know, it's tough the to shra- – Yeah, like all bags, they eventually yeah. just disintegrate if you wear them on your head long enough. <laughs> that was the point of American Beauty, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. exactly, yeah, exactly. The only point, and a movie that I'm—I know, Alex, you rewatch on almost a day. Uh, gosh, I love yeah. it. Uh, there's one specific actor I love it, but uh, I don't want to see. All right, it. wow. <laughs> Let's. Uh, yeah, Great stuff. I, I just. I, yeah, I feel I agree with you, Alex, where we're getting a little bit of the story at a time, but not in an annoying way. It feels like we're just spending time with these characters mm-hmm. in this kind of moment before a big choice. So it's very interesting and tonally kind of like creepy in all the right ways. And yeah, I just uh, I liked also the uh, back matter I had some deep shit. That was uh, some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with the back matter. I, I definitely enjoyed that text piece. Uh, I also think it, a story like this where we don't know what the rules are really, but we just get the great tip of the spear is just these two characters who seem to be maybe trying to kill each other or they have a history that we don't know. And it feels very uh, – the suspense is strong in such yeah. a focused, emotional way. What I think is working about it, and then we can move on to the next one, just talking about the rules, is even though we, the reader, don't know what the rules are and the main character is figuring them out, it seems pretty clear to me through the writing that the team behind it knows what the rules are. And that's a pretty clear this distinction. Is good. 
Yeah. It's good. I mean, I know I talk about Lost all the time. I got a Lost connection oh, blind yeah. me. We but don't have time for this. No, 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 no. But just like very yeah. clearly, they did not know where they were going for a good chunk mm-hmm. of it. And very famously in season three, they're like, please, you got to let us know when we can end the show so we can decide on an ending. So that's why things were very wobbly, because they were just kind of throwing shit out there and figuring out what sticks. With something like this, there's a confidence here in terms of the mythology that really comes through in the writing. Uh, and maybe they're going to you know, respond to this and be like, we don't know what we're doing. Oh, no. But uh, it feels like there are answers there, even though we don't have the answers right now. Alex, is it true that when Loss was building the, the collection behind you that they didn't actually know how they're going to finish the box? And so there's mm-hmm. no bottom. There's no it bottom. Doesn't, What's it doesn't in the make box? any sense. Yeah. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Yeah, there you go. Another uh, movie with a one of my favorite actors. But oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Human Target, number 10, who is me right now, I think. DC Comics, <laughs> written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood. Big revelations in this issue as things really start to come together. And we set it up for, I believe, the last two issues finale. Justin, I know you've been loving this book. How did you feel about this one? I love this book. I talked about it a little bit on the live show. Uh, this book is able to both keep their like great, sexy, uh, uh, noiry story going, and then have some wild diversions like Gnort in this is just like hanging, uh, just out riding with him, having beers, which is fun, and then brings us back to something. A, a twist that maybe we could have predicted was coming, but it still works and is worth every second and every panel of this beautifully drawn and written book. <laughs> Pete, you really don't like hey, this. Come on. It's very you don't surprising like to me. Even- uh, even the no. art, the art is super noir bananas. Well, no, I mean, the art is fabuloso. It's really a really stylistic, fabuloso. unbelievable choice. I was super impressed with the art. Uh, yeah, Nord's cool, but like, you know, it got a little Bill Cosby weird where he's drugging women and, uh, you know, you're, it's like, oh, this guy is, uh, oh, we're doing this. He- okay. All right. Uh, so I don't know, man. It gets darker and darker. I thought it was ending with the last issue because it kind of had a cool, good place to end on. But now it's getting weird. But, uh, you know, maybe uh, the last one will be great. I wouldn't say he's being Bill Cosby weird in that. Um, it's a, a detective story trope to slip a Mickey to someone. Um, oh, okay. It's definitely cool, cool, not cool, cool. Yeah, Bill yeah, yeah, Cosby-esque sure. what's I'm happening sure like here. When you're talking to the uh, authorities later, you know, no, 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 no. It's not, I didn't like drug her like Bill Cosby drug her. I drugged her like a detective would drug her, like a, a P, you know. Uh, investigator. I mean, it's a fictional narrative that is playing on noir tropes, so I understand. Just to be clear, we're not uh, saying Mickey anybody in real life ever under any circumstances, but in terms of hitting the noir tropes, it's the same thing as Knort being the drunk handy bad dude who used to work at the company who gets him in the back door. That's all that they're playing off of here. So ethically, is that wrong? Yes, Pete, you're right. Ethically, it's wrong. In terms of the fictional narrative, I think it's okay. We don't need to spend too much time thinking about it. And Pete, I thought you would like Gnort because he's sort of like a medium-sized Wolverine. He's like headed in the right direction. How dare you? 
Well, this episode is definitely heading towards the dark web, and let's head towards a dark web chunk here with our next couple of titles. We've been talking about them separately, but I figured let's talk chunk about them together. It's smart. Chunk let's it. chunk. So we got three titles in the dark web this week. We've got The Amazing Spider-Man number 17 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Ed McGuinness. Mary Jane and Black Cat, number two from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by Vincenzo Caruto. And Dark Web Miss Marvel, number two from Marvel, written by Sabir Perzada, art by Francesca go Mortorino. In case you haven't been paying attention to this, this is a wild goof of an Ooh. event where New York kind of gets sent to hell by Ben Riley and Madeline Pryor. And some of our characters are now in limbo, a.k.a. hell, um, over the course of this issue. And we're getting very different focuses in The Amazing Spider-Man. Peter Parker is in a hellacious version of The Daily Bugle with J. Jonah Jameson. In Mary Jane and Black Cat, they have been tasked with stealing the soul sword by Belasco and in dark web, Miss Marvel, basically she's just in hell and she's really tried to get out of there, but ultimately ends up fighting one of her old foes, the inventor with a twist. Um, this, I, I know I say this every week. I am consistently surprised how funny this event is. It's wild from just a story point of view, the way it is like, a joke in in a way, but it, but they're taking the joke very seriously. Specifically, the Amazing Spider-Man book is pushing the story forward, but at the same time, you've got J. Jonah Jameson being um, like, "Hey, Jonah, come to bed by his talking bed that is trying to eat him, but also maybe have sex with him." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And that's just one panel. I was like, "Oh, this this is part of the story." Jonah is like, he could walk out of this and be like, "Yeah." I, I fucked my bed. Yeah, well, that's yeah. I could. That's what Jonah might say. That could be a Daily Bugle headline. (laughs) Yeah, but that's I'm. I'm like, what are we doing here? What What's with the? I mean, sometimes it's fun. Like I like the character mashups that we get in the Spider Man book. That's fun. That's like a good idea turned up to eleven to kind of be a little silly and over the top. But the bed thing was super creepy, especially the lips on it. But I was just like... Uh, because you were so attracted to it, right, Pete? Yeah. What no. did you do when you got into your bed? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think it was like one of those things where I was like, there are parts of this event that I'm like, oh, this is fun. And then there are parts of this event I'm like, what, what, what are we doing? It, it's but, a fuck around, you know? So I, I do think in terms of like... Maybe that's part of the reason I'm enjoying it. I'm sort of turned off by the idea of everything matters and this is all important. It's changing forever because, spoiler, we've been doing this for 16 years. We know mostly it doesn't change and eventually comes back to the end. So I would rather have fun in the middle while we're there. And I know we keep talking about the Amazing Spider-Man issue, but the whole bit about these demons not quite understanding the tropes and forcing J. Jonah Jameson to shout, get me tasty pics of Spider-Man made me laugh out loud. The Mary Jane and Black Cat issue, I love that they're working this so heist good. thing in with the Black Cat and just the emotional underpinning of like Black Cat still has feelings for Spider-Man. Mary Jane probably doesn't, but also probably does and they don't know how to talk about it. Getting into mm-hmm. this perspective, there's a really good emotional hook there. Like we talked about with the last issue, uh, me and Pete, Dark Web Miss Marvel, this is the best Miss Marvel that I've read in a really long time. So, yes, even though I'm not sure what it amounts to at the end, I I don't care. 
All right. Well, first off, you fast forward through a lot of craziness, but let me just start with the positive here. This the Dark Web Miss Marvel is, is so great. It's so fun. The creepy villain characters like set up this cool tone. You know, her kind of like being this giant, kind of fighting her way through. It's just awesome. And then having like the touching Miles Morales moment. She's everyone's hero. Great, awesome stuff. But then we get to the black cat uh, Mary Jane bullshit. And it's like, are you serious? You're just going to be in limbo making a deal with the devil because that's what Mary Jane does. She just makes deals with devil tech characters. Why would you go back there? Why would you put her in another? They're both devils. Don't be racist. I know that. I know that. different devils, okay? I know. But stop having her do the same horrible thing over and over again. Can I throw something out at you? They've been dancing around this thing for a while, even though they tease go back to Amazing Spider-Man 1, where clearly something happened to Mary Jane. We found Spider-Man at the beginning of the first issue in this enormous crater. Everybody hated him six months afterwards, I believe. And we don't know what happened that broke them apart. There's been little teases that maybe Mary Jane died and came back to life, and that might be part of what's happening here. At least that's how I've been interpreting it. What if they made another deal with Mephisto? That's what I thought was kind of teased by this issue. I mean, that would be wild. Uh, because for, jumping back to Miss Marvel, I thought this was a great book. It's fun. It pushes the the fun stuff a lot. The walking Jersey City mosque yeah. and the way that they sort of self resolve that by the uh, all everyone in the mosque being like, "We're actually going to be nicer to each other." And the mosque is like, "Sick, great." <laughs> I thought it was, it was great. Was really fun and funny, and it feels like it's taking advantage of the pure creative engine of this crossover to tell interesting stories that I don't think you could squeeze into a lot of other uh, crossovers or regular books. I, I, but the Mary Jane and Black Hat book, I love. I love the way it's written. As far as all of these books, this book seems to have the most future ramifications for what's actually going on in the Spider books, to the point of what Alex is talking about. I. To the fact that they, if they made another deal with the devil, I think that's a great use of that. And I think it actually helps you, Pete. How, how it, could I, I was started off so high, like in such a great place. Alex was like on my side and it's gone so horrible. The yes, highs and hash, lows are killing me in this ha- stack. Hashtag Damien's a short king. But what, <laughs> what I'm saying, if if Mary Jane is making much more, more regular deals with the devil, that makes the one that happened less of an iconic thing that they could maybe someday. Yeah, uh, maybe touch. it turns into like a cool thing that they do regularly, like every issue or God. something. Like yeah, that. I just really lean into it. You know what I mean? Yep. Lean into the worst decision you ever made with Spider-Man and just keep, you know, milking. That's it. what we do with every joke on this show, Pete. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I've been here for this. We got a lot of other stuff to talk about, though. Let's move on to talk about Gospel Number 3 from Image Comics by Will Morris. This is exploring a bunch of different onion layers of a story. On the bottommost layer, we got this woman who is on a big quest to stop, again, Pete's favorite character, the devil. But then we have those stories about those stories. And for the first time since the first issue, we flash out to what I assume is the modern era as they're reading these very Canterbury tales type stories about this and delving into it. That, to me, beyond the art, which I think is phenomenal, is my it's absolute It's actually favorite. magnifico. Yeah, magnifico. <laughs> it's my favorite aspect of the series, just this idea of these nesting doll stories that are happening. It's very cool. Uh, Pete, you've, that's fabuloso, magnifico. Are you on some sort of eat, pray, love style journey through, <laughs> through Tuscany right now? Are you in some Italian villa and you haven't told us? 
Uh, I wish, man, that we cool. Because is that I see a little bit of pesto in your teeth. I, I think you're <laughs> on some sort of discovery journey. I think just to throw it out there, this is just a theory of mine. I think Pete followed some sort of sexy bed to Italy to try to win it over. <laughs> oh boy! Ooh. Oh boy! Eat, pray, comics, or I guess eat. Uh, eat tight bananas? Is that what do you what, guys think about this book? Just out of curiosity. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. On, I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, I, I love this book. And the idea of, because we've had stories about stories a million times in comics. Uh, but what I like about this, the little twist on it is you have your character in the past who's like, I want to be important in a story. And you have your character in the present day being like, I like this story with this character who tried to be important in the story. And there's going to be just some point where those two ideas meet. And I think that's a really smart take. The art is awesome. This great highwayman uh, confrontation scene that sort of leads off this issue I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's really impressive what this is uh, pulling off. I mean, uh, they're doing it in such a creative, uh, impressive way. The weaving the stories. The art is just, uh, I mean, it's, it's top-notch. It's, it's really just unbelievable and worth, worth it for the art alone. The Flash, 790 from DC Comics, written by Jeremy Adams, art by Roger Cruz. Now, normally I leave The Flash off the stack because the way this yeah, discussion goes is... That's, that's Alex's I really stuff. like The Flash. Here's the thing that I like about this issue is that you guys are like, I don't know, he runs fast, who cares? But yeah. this is the beginning of a new arc, so I figured it was worth revisiting it. It's called The One Minute War, something that they've been teasing for a good long while. As the entire world is frozen and an entire war with all of the Flashes, the only people who are unfrozen, happens over the course of one minute, uh, which I think is a very cool concept, very fun, perfect for The Flash. This issue starts off in apocalyptic fashion, but I think does a really good job of setting up, reminding you who the characters are, where they are, and what their emotional arcs are going to be over the course of this story arc. So I enjoyed it. Now your guy's turn where you talk about how he runs fast in this part. Take it away. He does. Well, here's the thing. He does run fast. But I don't know if you noticed, but there's like nine other fast people in this. Well, they're all running fast. <laughs> Let's hope the Alex. solution is yeah, what's if up? we can only run fast together, we can save the day. But listen, I agree with you, Alex. This is a great oh. jumping on point right here. Like if you're going to get into the flash, you know, you should really uh, this is a beginning of something. So this would be a good issue to pick up for sure. I think you liked it just because there was a giant arrow in it. Yeah, yeah, that was a giant arrow Mm -hmm. hits the earth, essentially. Uh, But to your point, Alex, I do like this. It is a great jumping on point. And the premise of this one minute war is cool. The the thing with the Flash universe, it is, I think, a barrier to entry for me, uh, at least a little bit, is unlike other legacy heroes, uh, like, say, Green Lanterns, it feels like they take turns being the main lantern and we sort of focus on them for a time. And the Flash is like, nope. Everyone's always the flash. Always here, and we're always the flash. We're always talking about everyone. Everyone's like, like ten deep. What you need? Well, it's like, oh, well, he's like, hey, I'm gonna go talk to Barry. He's like, oh, let's go bring Bart. Let's go see Bart. Like, oh, Mister Max Mercury. Let's get him over. It's like everyone's always hanging out. They're like a. I don't disagree with you that it's a lot, and it's definitely the point where it's like two kid flashes with this issue being like, I'm Kid Flash, and the other was like, no, I'm Kid Flash. I was like, this is a lot. This is a lot right now. This is so much fun. Yes, even though they are very different characters, they have very different yeah. needs and wants and they approach situations in different ways that's all fine but and i like them. that's also I like the fast. different ones it's just funny i'm like let's just talk about one of them for mm-hmm. a while when they're always totally. po- they're like it's like a bunch of neighbors being like hey i'm here and it's like i live here not we don't always have to hang out yeah but that last page though i don't think that's gonna stick 
I I don't think so either. No spoilers here. If it does stick, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. we can talk about that more potentially at the next issue. Miles Morales, Spider-Man number two from Marvel, written by Cody Ziegler, art by Federico Vincenti. This is Vincentini, excuse me. This is continuing the soft reboot, I would say, of Miles Morales back to basics here, working with his family, fighting some villains, dealing with some family stuff. Uh, he's been going through some wild adventures over the past couple of years. So this is bringing him back to be as he's called here, the Brooklyn Spider-Man, which I think is a really nice, fun place to put him. How'd you guys feel about this issue? I think you're biased. Oh, uh, because I live in Brooklyn? Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're like oh. a nice a Philadelphia uh, Spider-Man and, there? And outside Baltimore Spider-Man? With Wiz? <laughs> or maybe, Pete, do you want some sort of, like, Florence, Italy Spider-Man to really uh, uh, to, oh, wait, I forgot you're in Baltimore now. Hey, you want one with like a crab cake with a little old bay on him? <laughs> That's right, man. Yeah, uh, old bay. Justin, what did you think about the way this started? Here's Miles Morales talking about how he's always late. You know what I mean? Did that, did it like ring? <laughs> did you hear any of that? Did that get start, into you at all? Stop trying to up? put out the vibe. I'm on time all the time. I've changed. I'm a say, new man. I'm a new man. This um, this is fun. I like that now Miles Morales feels like it's not all about the new things that Miles is doing. It is like he's fully Spider-Man, in this case, Brooklyn Spider-Man, and he just has a bunch of shit on his plate like Peter Parker always does, too. So I think these new the new direction that Miles is going in is fun. I like the Misty Night team up really well, and uh, I thought that really worked. Uh, also, the Scorpion kind of like back for more was a great idea. I, yeah, I'm, I'm having a good time with this. And you can't ghost people. And uh, if you're late, you know, it's you got to try to improve your life. Dark Ride, wow. number four from Image Comics, written by Joshua Williams and art by Andre Bresson. In this issue, we're getting some big revelations about our cast here at our horror-themed theme park. I'm loving this book. It is dark. Uh, it is violent. The mysteries are interesting. Justin, what do you think? I also love this. I love this team. Their book, Birthright, is one of my faves. The art, especially in this issue by um, uh, uh, Andre Bresson, like you said, is so good. It's uh, does It splits the line between being like fun and sort of down-to-earth with being like really creepy and scary um the last like six pages are this one thing happening i won't spoil it but it's not pleasant what happens to the person and it's very cool to watch uh yeah i agree with you that this is scary as shit i mean this is really it's a little intense man it's almost too scary and uh, almost is like pulling you out of the story a little bit because you're like, I don't know. Too uh, scary? Yeah, it's that's too not scary. True, you, you're sensitive to scary things. People. Sure, sure. So that's that's because I, I find it to be I'm impressed by how much fear they can conjure with this comic. And yep. maybe you're scared because like the guy that gets sort of got at the end of the issue looks like you when you would cover the uh, <laughs> Comic-Con uh, Artist Alley, Street Beat, Pete Street Beat. Yeah, man, it's intense out there. All right. That, that mask, it was so gross. And the fact that they That's stayed right, on it and the blood was just dripping down with all the teeth, that was fucked up, man. Yeah, that's what it's got to be when you're doing a thing about a horror-themed theme park. They're going hard, and I love it. Batman and the Joker, the deadly duo number three from DC Comics by Mark Silvestri. In this issue, Batman is faced with a deadly choice that was left for the Joker. Meanwhile, it turns out that these teeth out of these hybrid Joker, Batman, whatever things is going on, infect other living tissue. So lots of stuff going on here, including the villain seemingly revealed. 
I was a little iffy about this the first issue, but I am enjoying this story more and more as we go along. It is a very classic Batman tale paired with some Mark Silvestri art. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead. I would say I agree. It has a more of a horror element and like a uh, body transformation element than I expected. Um, and I've been enjoying that. Mark Silvestri's art is very cool. Yeah, I think this is uh, they have some creepy covers on here to kind of really set this tone. But this, I'm having a great time with this team up. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, creepy in all the right ways and kind of super interesting. Daredevil number seven from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Rafael De La Torre and Marco Cicchetto. In this issue, Daredevil takes the villains that he's been training and trying to rehabilitate on a field trip back to the mainland. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what it field is. Field trip. Yeah. Yes, field but it's trip. also setting up, finally, the huge confrontation with the Punisher that seems like it's going to happen the next issue. This is intense. Period. <laughs> Pete, what are you going to do here? DD Daredevil versus Punisher and it feels like this isn't screwing around they're not going to eventually team up they're mad they're going to fight that one of them may be dead the this issue the whole time i had like final countdown playing in my head like this is really That's such not- an amazing build up this is such a cool Holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. I'm scared, you know, because you don't want to see your parents fighting, but what's going to happen and who's going to win? I, I, it's, uh, it's a great time to be alive. I'm very uh, anxious and worried, but also couldn't be more excited for the next couple of issues. Uh, this is just super tight bananas art. Uh, I'm, ha- I'm having a blast. And just to be clear, when Pete said that it's weird to see your parents fight, he was actually um, co-parented by the Punisher and Daredevil. And that explains, explains a lot. Explains yeah. a lot. Yeah, they were sort of your deadly duo, if you will. Oh, okay. nice. It also explains why the final countdown is playing in your head at all times. Something I know to be true, having known you for going on like about 20, 30 years at this point. Yeah, this point, <laughs> sure, yeah. The Dead Lucky, number five from Image Comics, written by Melissa Flores, art by French Carlo Magno. In this issue, our mech pilot, who has some ghosts and electricity powers, is taking the fight to the robots that have taken over San Francisco. We're also finally getting some clarity about where this sits in the whole massive verse with the appearance of a villain from over in Radiant Black, which I like quite a bit. Um, I enjoy this title. I think it's well written. What do you guys think? I love the power set of Dead Lucky, like the the ghosts meet tech meet uh, trauma coming from uh, being a soldier, like all of those story points really work together uh, well, I think. This is the one from the Massiverse I'm like, oh, right, this is a Massiverse book. It feels so siloed off, but it also still works to see crossover elements happen here. Yeah, I love the cool anime feel it has to it. It's action-packed. Uh, great last page. I think this is just a blast of a comic. And uh, yeah, if you, if, you, if you like it, you'll continue to like it. It delivers. If you like it, you'll like it. Yeah, if you like it, you'll like it. <laughs> That's why people tune into the show for the crack critical commentary. Hey, if you Spence. like it, you like it. If you see a fork in the road, you take it. You know what I mean? <laughs> or or don't. Turn back. Whatever you want. Specs number three for Boob Studios, written by David M. Boer, art by Chris Sheehan. In this issue, I felt like we were getting some clarity in terms of what this story is, as these kids got these glasses from the back of a comic book that give them 
very light wishes. This is basically a Tales from the Crypt, <laughs> you know? Like, that's essentially what it is. That's what it turns into in this issue. And that, for me, gave me a lot of clarity about how they've been approaching it the past couple of the issues. And uh, I like the story. I'm excited to see it wrap up. I agree with you there. I will say that it feels like they've done a good job in this issue specifically building up like they're in trouble. It's going to be very hard to spec your way out of this in the way that they've specced their way into it. Uh, confronting uh, the um, the cop scene between uh, our our main guy uh, is Ted Teddy. Is that his name? Maybe. Sure. Um, and the uh, the dick cop I thought was really, really good. And while that's simultaneously happening, uh, our other main character is uh, dealing with some deep uh, mystical shit. So that was a cool combo. The the prom girl story creeped me the fuck out, man. And the art is just so scary cool. It's really impressive. The layout, the how creepy it is and what's happening to these kids. This story is kind of really... Uh, uh, each issue, it's gotten crazier and crazier, and it's really deli- delivering in, in such an interesting way. Mood Girl and Devil Dinosaur, number two from Marvel, written by Jordan Ifuko, art by Alba Glez. In this issue, Moon Girl is continuing to, well, trying to convince her friends that there is an alien who is looking to do something, invade Earth, take over Earth. My big thing about this issue that I liked was I got a couple pages in. I was bummed there wasn't enough devil dinosaur in the first issue. And I was like, oh, not enough devil dinosaur again. And then there was a lot of devil dinosaur. This dinosaur is evil. Pete, do you feel like this dinosaur would make a deal with some sort of dino Mary Jane? (laughs) Oh, boo. (laughs) I'm just saying. Who's the Mary Jane of dinosaurs? I'm going to say Stegosaurus. You go. (laughs) <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly, you just hit the jackpot, uh, Apatosaurus. Uh, wow. I was I was going to say Sabertooth Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Here, just cut the first one and put that one in. Okay. Uh, no problem. And <laughs> cut. Cut. This book was I, – I love the detail work on this, the way we get just little different points that um, Moon Girl throws in here, like the using the gloves, the sign language, all that stuff. It's so smart and so well thought out for a story, and the art really suits what's happening here. This is just a uh, super adorable fun, uh, except for when the whole kid getting in the van thing. But other than that, it was great. Danger Street, number two from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Jorge Fornes. In this issue, we're dealing with the ramifications of killing a child in the first issue. Bunch of characters on the run. We find out more about what is going on with the Creeper as he works at a Fox News style network. There's also a lot of stuff going on with a sad dark side who hugs uh, the leader of New Genesis that I'm blanking on the name of. Still a lot going on in this title. I'm not 100% sure of what Tom King is going for here, even though I'm happy to take along the ride. Um, Every time I think, oh, okay, this is about media culture or something like that, it swerves in some entirely different direction. Uh, But how are you guys feeling? Are you glomming onto it a little bit more than me? Well, I think it was a kind of a hilarious start with the helmet yelling, our story continues. Um, yeah, this is intense and it's also kind of weird in different ways, but I feel like it's classic Tom King type of stuff where you're getting pieces and bits of a story as you're trying to put it together. I mean, the art's super type bananas and uh, the hunt has commenced. 
Tom King, I think, is so great at really starting us, starting his stories in such different places, really pushing the legs of the tripod as far apart as possible. But we know at the end of it, it will come together because I feel like that's where he starts. And we get court antics with Darkseid, um, these kids on the ground. We get a former Starman feeling pretty bad about uh, what they've done. And Dr. Fate's helmet just screaming the whole time. So that's the ultimate <laughs> what more do you want? Yeah. Bloodstained Teeth, number eight from Image Comics, written by Christian Ward, art by Patrick Reynolds. In this issue, our vampire, who is supposed to be killing all of the vampires he sired, is in some big trouble. We get a lot of characters going through some crazy stuff here. I That was the vaguest way I possibly could have described it. But it what is crazy stuff. Yes. And if you like it, you like it. There you go. <laughs> nice, good. Say yes. no more. Yes. What do uh, you guys think? I just watched the movie The Menu uh, on HBO Max, and so this uh, this sort of chefery um, mm-hmm. focus here was very like uh, well timed for my life. I love the neon art here. I love the sort of story of the week element that we get with it. I would read a ton of this. Yeah, this is another banger comic. I, I like the style that really brings you into this world of this comic. I mean, uh, there's a ton of story and action. Love the pace. Love the intensity. Epic art. Something is Killing the Children, number 28 from Boob Studios, written by James Stein of the Fourth, art by Werther Dildaria. In this issue, Erica is taken in by the police as a rogue member of the House of Slaughter is after her and setting her up to fail. Pete, I know you're freaking out after the end of the last issue. How'd you feel about this one? Yeah, uh, I hope you like this one, Justin, because this was another just badass issue. Love the buildup. Love the uh, the art is just such a a great world that this lives in, and I I love it uh, so much. It's uh, it's just really impressive what they do with the characters and the the, the build, their the slow build that they're doing. This is just so much fun. My comments in the past have been mostly about it doesn't feel like a lot of things happen on an issue to issue basis with this series, but this issue Confidence. a lot of stuff happens, mm-hmm. and we're getting Erica really. We're getting to know a lot more about her and see her be very upset um, and have some actual people she cares about around her. So that is cool. Monica Rambeau, Photon, number two from Marvel, written by Eve L. Ewing, art by Ivan Fiorello and Luna Maresca. After the events of the last issue, Monica Rambeau has seemingly been sent back in time to back when she was a member of the Avengers. We get some Black Knight sightings, among other characters that I care less about. What did you guys think? Well... Sorry, we all have our things. What did you guys think about this one? I know we enjoyed, but were a little hesitant, was my feeling, I think, about the first issue. At least, Pete, you were throwing out with all the cameos. Did you feel more on board with it in issue two? I did. I felt like this was a, a kind of, okay, this is what this comic is going to be. You're going to get the cameos. Uh, you're going to get ideas kind of thrown around. So I'm more used to the pace, and I think this is an interesting beyonder story. I'm curious to read more. I'm having a good time with this. I kind of, it, it took me one to kind of like understand what's up, but uh, now I'm, I'm on board. I feel like Monica when she's like, "Who's what is Dr. Druid doing hanging out with his crew? Um, <laughs> that's weird. Um, I don't know what's happening in this story yet. Um, I like the style, I like the tone. I like where it is. But I just want one thing to know. Are we sort of tripping through multiversal things? Like where is the where is the reality and what is the point? Just a little nod so that we can really hook into the everything else that's happening. 
10,000 Black Feathers, number five from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino. This is the last issue of the book, and our character who is searching for her best friend who was lost slash murdered years ago ends up in this mystical world that she's visited before, tracks her down. Gorgeous art in this issue. Ah, that's, Alex, that's Alex's code for he doesn't like like the story or know what's happening. But I, because I agree, it's very hard to tell what is the deal here. The art is amazing. And I like the sort of the journey and the the reunion that happens in this book. But I'm like, wait, who, are they both dead? Do they live here now? Is this a fine place to live? Can you live here? Is this the afterlife? Is this just a weird neighborhood that they happen to stumble in? When the well it has a mouth, do you get water out of it? Or do you just get saliva because your bucket's going into the mouth and not into the well? These are the questions that keep all of us up night, right, guys? Well, I just think that this is a very artistic book that uh, isn't kind of going through things and kind of spelling things out for you. You're kind of along for this ride, you know. Um, it's 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 a it's a big swing, and I love it. I think it has an interesting tone, a very uniqueness that I find to be very impressive. Well, you should know your station, Pete, and know your station number two is our next review from Boom Studios, written by Sarah Galley, art by Leanna Kangas. I love the first issue of this as a murder mystery set on a space station for the wealthy elite. Here we have our main character, who's not a cop, but kind of standing in for a cop, is dealing with the multiple murders she may have caused, as well as detoxing for drugs. I love the tone here. I think it's yeah. funny what it needs to be. It's scary what it needs to be. The mystery is interesting. I can't wait to read more. And Leanna Kangas's art is an awesome companion to this. I love the device of the uh, the detox sort of messing up her, her memory, while at the same time the computer is like sort of helpful, but sort of absolutely not helpful. And we're trying to figure out like what is real and what isn't. And you just can't trust these AI chatbots, right? Yeah, I mean, this is I I really love the first one. The second one, it, I'm I'm not sure who's what. So like, you know, the the drugging the main character, I I didn't know how to feel about that. It was a little kind of like, wait, is that good? Is when that we were bad? talking about Human Target, though, you said you love drugging people. No, yeah. it's not. That what was I just said. earlier on the it podcast. Did. Yeah, I no, that no it's you know, but it, I Pete, am looking forward to getting some clarity so I can go back to really loving this comic. Pete, honestly, the drink you just made me before we started recording is really starting to hit me. I feel uh, like, did you put something the, the, in? Let's not lean into this, guy. Did you put something in my drink? <laughs> Please. Yeah, let's not dig ourselves an apple hole here. All, yeah. uh, oh, Wolverine number 29 from Marvel, written by J Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip. In this issue, Wolverine has plunged deep into Krakoa, uh, a.k.a. Hell, which is kind of uh, haunted by the spirit of Sabretooth. He's dealing with a lot here, but... I love this metaphor of he has had his memory ripped away by beasts. So, of course, he goes down to the deepest depths, finds his memory and literally claws his way out again. I think this is what we were asking for from the last issue in terms of where is this going? And what is yeah. it saying about Wolverine? I think we got that here. A hundred percent. I feel bad for uh, my hashtag short king here, uh, short adamantium king, uh, because he's really been put through it. And I'm pissed at Beast. I'm having a very emotional response to this Beast thing. And I want to know if that's just our Beast, Dark Beast or something else going on, because it's nasty. But a great walkthrough of all of uh, Wolverine's tragic uh, backstory here. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm still not feeling this. It, it was disappointing because it was like, okay, Sabretooth is supposed to be in the pit, and the whole last issue wasn't, you know, like the pit. So then it reveals, okay, he is in the pit that Sabretooth is apparently running that is this hell of, of fuck island. So I was happy we got a little bit of Sabretooth, but I wanted more of a showdown or some kind of like you know, uh, reunion between them two, because it, this is supposed to be where Sabretooth is. Well, it's not Sabretooth. Sabretooth left. He just sort of infected it with his, yeah. the strength of his personality. Like okay, well, a really I good guess. host on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great, great, great. But yeah, and then infected. he just cl- crawls literally out of hell, and then somebody's there waiting for him, like, come on, we got to go do another thing. And it's like, man, this guy... Doesn't get a break, or everybody just shits on him, and it's <laughs> yeah, a little Wolverine, disappointing. Famously known for taking breaks. Uh, I mean, he just literally crawled out of hell. Give the guy a water or a second, Mm. something. You know what I mean? Just just walking up on him like, hey, we've been looking for you. We need somebody killed. Come on. I don't know if I've ever seen Wolverine drink a glass of water, and that's a problem. Yeah. He's got a hydro, man. All against all, number two from Image Comics, written by Alex Pactadal, art by Casper Wingard. This takes place in a human zoo, uh, either on Earth or in an alien spaceship. We're not 100% sure, but there's a bunch of aliens that are going against this human, and he is just murdering them one by one. It's like a reverse predator. Uh, Yes, it's great. I thought this was cool and sort of a uh, wild, um, (laughs) uh, a wild, deep world to jump into. Uh, I like the connection between the uh, our main character, I guess, is I'm assuming the human. But we've mostly heard from one of the aliens as the main character. And something happens here that I would be sad to know if that is what's happening. Very confusing. Yes, it is very confusing, but I am definitely on board, particularly for Casper Wingard's art. We loved him yeah. over on Homesick Pilots, and this is some wild designs of the characters here as well. The Pete, ones... what do you think? Pete, what oh, do you think? Pete? Pete? <laughs> oh, Pete disappeared for anybody listening. He had to go to yeah. a meeting. The yeah. ones number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Jacob Edgar. Oh, I probably should have said Pete got canceled for his statements about Rufy. Yeah. <laughs> It's good. Just put that in. I'll put that. I'll and cut. Okay. The ones number three from Dark Horse Comics by written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Jacob Edgar. In this issue, the devil theme of the podcast, I guess, has brought yeah. the apocalypse to Earth and is facing down all of these various number ones, not number ones, ones, chosen, chosen ones. ones, chosen ones. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we find out a little bit about what's gone on in the time between when we last left them at a Chinese restaurant and now. I said this in the last two issues. This continues to be my favorite story that Brian Michael Bendis has done in a very long time. Yeah, I agree. It feels like a lot of his earlier work where it's just so intensely committed to the story and there's less time for him to sort of do loop-de-loos with dialogue or, or different sort of cute things happening. It's just a fun, in like, big story that he gets to tell, and that's where he was always at his best, I feel like. So if you've been missing some old Bendis, uh, I would jump into the ones. Yeah, and Jacob Edgar's art feels very reminiscent of, oh my gosh, I'm completely blanking on his name, who did Powers with Brian, Mike Avon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it feels reminiscent of that. It's not necessarily a ripoff, but I think it's definitely going for that vibe a little bit. So, very fun book. And last but not least, Little Monsters, number nine from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. This is following the fallout of the last issue. We have a bunch of our little vampires who are protecting a human, are trapped inside of a building, a bunch of others are outside a building unlike 10,000 black feathers it feels like 
This is rushing through information in this issue in a very big way, which I appreciated after the way that it was spaced out in the first eight. I was going to make the same comparison, both Jeff Lemire books, and this one feels like it is running headlong. We're getting some sort of lost Ian uh, flashbacks to each of the different characters in each issue, which I think is really cool. I love this world. This is something I would like to see as a uh, TV show, an animated show, an adult animated show, or something like that. It's, it's a book I've been really, it's been getting better as it's been going on. Yeah, and it does seem like it's wrapping up, or at least we're going to get some revelations yeah. about what's actually been going on in the next issue. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. If you would like to support the show and all the shows we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Hashtag Damien Short King. Just love the